Hey, everybody. Morning. Uh, we're going to be reading Psalms 19 today, so if you've got your Bibles handy, please, 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 please get that out. And uh, when I see everybody's pretty much attentive, I guess we'll go. By the way, I've read the book, too. It's really good. All right. It looks like everybody's ready, so let's do this. Psalm 19, the works and word of God for the director of music, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than, pure gold than, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my fault, hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Thank you. This is a red balloon. It's true, it's red, we all know our colors. The absolute truth is that this balloon is red. No, it's not. That's green. What? This right here is a green balloon. That is the prettiest yellow balloon. <laughs> yellow? This is red. Yeah, come over here. No, it's green. It's red! Yeah, I know, it's a red balloon. Hey, will you look at it from my point of view, please? What? Hey, nice blue balloon. <gasps> it's blue. green! Green? It's red. What? Why are you saying it's red when it's blue, huh? It's totally purple from here! Purple? Okay, you know what? Let's just settle this once and for all, okay? Where are you going? Hey, what color is this balloon? I only see in black and white. Okay. Hey, Mark, what color... There is no balloon. This is ridiculous! Hey, I know what the problem is. Look, uh, my mom taught me that this was blue. But, um, you know, then she said this is red and green, yellow, you know, and on and on. <laughs> okay, I get that your mom taught you that that was blue, but, I mean, that's not the truth. Whoa, why are you talking bad about his mom? Yeah. I'm not. Listen, I respect your mother. Thank you. And the way she raised you. She taught you that it was blue. Our moms taught us that it was red. That's the way it goes. I thought you oh. said it was green. It is green. See, I'm smart. I went to college. And in college, I learned all these different <laughs> theories about color. Really? And my color professors, who have doctorates in color, do you have a doctorate in color? Uh, no. It shows. Okay. <laughs> they can't even agree on one theory of color, so you have to look at all the different theories and pick which one works best for you. And green is great for me. That makes sense. Thank you. No, you can't just pick whatever color fits your life the best. Red is red. Okay, do you know the word intolerant? Yeah. Because that's what you're being right now. All right, you're shoving your opinion down my throat. Okay, it's not my opinion, it's the truth. <laughs> hold on, hold on. All we're saying is that we need to stop arguing about trivial things like truth. You know, the funny thing about truth is, it's true. 
whether you believe it or not. All right, well, good morning. Good to see you guys. Um, a few months back, it was in March, there's probably about 40 of us that went down to Pitzer College on a Wednesday night, and we saw Professor Dallas Willard uh, give, a, give a talk on, uh, on, basically, he was giving a topic on skepticism, but in, in reality, he was going after truth, what is, what is the ultimate truth. And for those of you that don't know, Dallas Willard is a, he is a, or he was, excuse me, he was a, a philosophy professor at UCLA and probably one of the greatest Christian writers in our, in our century. And he was just a huge influence on our church and, and a lot of individuals in this church and, and in Christianity worldwide. And so uh, Granite Creek had the opportunity to see his last lecture, and then he went to the Lord shortly after that. Um, and he, as he was speaking to Pitzer College, uh, some of the things that he was addressing uh, in a forum called the Veritas Forum, which is hosted by InterVarsity, Veritas is Latin for truth. And he was making a point that somewhere in academia, in the university system, there was a shift from the pursuit of truth, going after truth, to giving up on it because you can't agree on anything. So somewhere in the, you know, the turn of the century, 1920s, the university system gave up on seeking truth because they had the same problem that our, that our folks in the video had. They can't, you can't determine what truth is, so let's just scrap it. Truth is not attainable. And what our pursuit ought to be now is knowledge and process. And that's what, the, that's what our universities are based on, on gathering knowledge and finding a process and how to get smarter to gain more information. Uh, but truth is, is irrelevant right now. Dallas Willard makes a very important statement. He says that truth is in trouble. Truth is in trouble. That's it's very simple. But let me give you another quote that he has, and I'm going to have to flesh it out because he's a little wordy. The bitterness of truth is its total indifference to human will and desire. Together with the fact that human desire and will is set on reshaping reality, therefore truth itself. See, there's a conflict between will, your will, and truth. Your will wants to shape what reality is. Your will wants to say, my red balloon is green. Your will is, in, in most cases, is, is, a, is opposed to what God's will is. And so this is the heart of what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about what truth really is. And I do think it's an important topic to talk about because if you've been watching the news lately, our world is changing and becoming very interesting. And truth is, well, it's up for grabs. You can believe whatever you want to believe now. And this is what is taught. This is what our culture values. And uh, as we look at the word of God, if we actually consider what A.J. read, well then, the Bible is saying, no, it's... There, there's something very valuable about the Word of God and that there is truth in it. If you want to follow along on your bulletins, the first point that we want you to look at is that Jesus is absolute truth. The famous quote, famous truth um, statements, the famous, the, the most important truth statement on the planet ever uttered by Jesus himself, says, I am, John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one gets to the Father, no one gets into heaven except via me, or, via, or through God, through Jesus. And what Jesus is saying, he's saying something very, very difficult and very offensive if you, if you really want to take a good, hard look at it. He said something in that no other religious person, no other guru, no other scholar, no other rabbi, no other priest has ever mentioned before. 
He says, I am truth. I don't teach about truth. I don't guide people to truth. I don't teach people how to have a good life. I don't give them knowledge and information and process in order to understand truth. I'm it. I am absolute truth. And if you really want to seek truth, it's going to lead to me. That's the ultimate destination, is me. And so this is one of the, Jesus is absolute truth. This is really a hard, abstract concept to understand, but it is true. And our whole life ought to be based on that principle. The way that we read the Bible needs to be based on that principle. Jesus, Jesus is perfect. He is truth, and the definition of the word word is logos. So Jesus is the logos. He is the perfect word of God. If you want to take it a step further, when you read the scripture, you're reading God's word, you're reading logos, you're reading Jesus. So as you read through the whole Bible, you ought to see Jesus in each and every single passage that you read. He is logos. Such a powerful statement. One of the other key truth statements and I don't know if I'm going to be able to really get into it. It is the, one of the most simplest scriptures that we have. It is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his unique son, his only begotten son, that whoever believes will not perish, will but will have eternal life. Again, a very powerful truth statement. We, uh, we usually don't read that one because... Whenever you're watching your football game, there's a guy at the end zone with an Afro wig that has it on his piece of paper and he holds it up. So we, we, do, we choose not to read John 3.16 or meditate on it or look on it anymore. It's because we're so familiar with it. Familiarity just kind of, not only does it breed contempt, it'd be just like, I don't really care. I, I, I've been there. I've done that. I know that verse. It, does, it, can't, it can't teach me anything that I don't already know. And once we begin to take on that attitude towards the scriptures, we begin to dull it, we begin to dumb it down, and we begin to lose the sharp edge that the word of God has. So we have to be, we have to be very careful about uh, uh, getting too used to, to the Bible. I read the Bible. I'm bored with it. I need to go on to something better. So I want to warn you about that. Jesus is the word. He is perfect. He is absolute truth, and it's in there. Second point is that God wants to guide us to truth. God wants to guide you to truth. Psalms 25, 4 through 5. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me into your truth and teach me. For you are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Here's the great thing about how God functions. He is, a, he is a loving, doting father on all of his children. Even the children that are not in this room, that don't go to church, that, uh, that are lost or that are involved in some other way of thinking, he loves everybody the same. And so he gives everybody the same opportunities. And what we know, or what I believe, what is probably one of the key uh, convictions on, on how God draws us to himself is that individuals that are honest with, their, with themselves, that they are out for wisdom, that they want to seek knowledge and goodness, that they're going to find God, that they're going to find Jesus, they're going to find absolute truth. And the desire for wisdom, the desire for knowledge and, and, and the, the, the ability to want to be good, the, the, the desire to seek goodness and kindness, well, everybody has that. Uh, secular humanists have that. Uh, everybody desires those things. And I do believe that if people are really honest with themselves and if they seek kindness and goodness over their own desires, they will find Jesus. I did a funeral uh, last week, and uh, this individual was, he's the, he was the smartest guy in the room, always. He had the equivalent to two and a half PhDs. He had his PhD in physics 
and he had his master's degree in philosophy, and he had another degree in some like psychology, uh, and then he had another degree in like and I don't know something else. Smart guy. I've been in the room with him a couple of times, and he was always up here, and everybody else was like, you know, just whatever, just having a conversation. But he was walking on a completely different plane. His entire life, through his academic career, he was obsessed with knowledge. He was obsessed with wisdom. Now, there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is information. Wisdom is something that is beyond knowledge. The proverb says, you know, at all cost, seek wisdom. If it costs you everything, go after wisdom. Wisdom is the most important thing. And he, not only was he after information, but he was after wisdom too. He, there were some secrets that he was delving into. And this individual studied all of the world religions because he wanted truth. This individual had so many books in his, in his double wide trailer that they were stacked up to the ceiling. And if you opened his books... Almost every single line was underlined. Every, everything was underlined and highlighted, meaning that he's read them all, unlike myself, where I read the first chapter, the middle chapter, and the end chapter, and then I build a sermon around it. So, <laughs> I don't know, cheating, right? No. But he consumed information. He consumed knowledge. And the interesting thing about this guy is that he was a good guy. He was extremely generous. He gave away a lot of stuff. And if you were ever around him, he was giving you things. And as he was dying, his last week on his deathbed, his parents came to him and said, Dad, and his parents as kids, I'm sorry. Dad, are, are you okay with the Lord? That's a good question to ask, right? Are you okay with the Lord? He's like, son, of course I am. He says, I've spent my life in the pursuit of knowledge and wisdom, and I've come to the conclusion that Jesus is perfection. I have a relationship with the Lord. So everybody, everybody on the planet, if you're honest with yourself, if you really, truly are seeking truth over your own will, it will lead you to Jesus. God has made it to where he will guide you to all truth. Third point on your outline is the spirit of truth guides us. Once that we are able to attain the connection with God, once God leads us to truth, we have the Holy Spirit that enters our heart, hopefully. We become a new creation. We become a new being. Uh, we are born again, if you will. Well, if that happens, then the spirit of truth will guide us. Let's see what John 16 says. 13 says, but when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. That's powerful. What does that mean? That means when the Holy Spirit comes and is leading you and guiding you in all truth, um, he will show you who you really are who you really ought to be, and where you, where you really ought to be. See, God has in mind the perfect you and the perfect future for you and what you ought to be doing and how you ought to be doing it. He has a vision for your future that you don't understand. And when you let the Holy Spirit into your heart and when it mingles with your spirit, it's gonna guide you there. The Holy Spirit will guide you exactly where you need to be. Now, the problem, the problem in the Christian life, in the spiritual life, is that, I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't feel like I'm getting to where I need to be. Why am I stuck? Why isn't this Christian thing working out the way that I thought it would be? Where, where's Jesus? Where are my things that Jesus promised me? Where are the promises that Jesus promised me? Where, where is this stuff? And the thing that, that we'll be getting into in the fall is the issues, the elements, the problems, the, the things that are keeping you from moving forward in your life, 
they're, they're not the big things. They're not the things that you can see. They're not those big, giant obstacles. What really is holding you back, what really is messing you up, what really is tripping you up is the things that you don't see. The things about yourself, the truth about yourself that you don't see. This is, this is what's keeping me back. This is what's keeping Josh back. It's what's keeping you back. See, I have a, there's a real Josh inside of me. There's a true Josh inside of me, and he's trying to get out. The problem is my false Josh is not letting him get out. My environment is not letting him get out. My hang-ups and my culture is not letting him get out. The false Josh that says, you know what? You don't have to listen to everything that's in that book. Well, that's keeping him from getting out too. So we have these things that we don't see. Those are the things that really hold us back. And and as AJ was reading in the Psalms, uh, David was able to understand this spiritual truth. This is what what set David apart from most people in the Bible because he knew this about himself. If you were paying attention, A.J. read in uh, Psalms 19, verse 12, but who can discern their own errors? It's a rhetorical question. No one can discern their own errors. There's things that are in you that are broken that you don't know about. And if your friends and family can't see them either, if they can't point them out, then you need the Holy Spirit to highlight them and to pull them to the surface so that you can deal with them, that your friends and family can help you deal with them. So who who can discern them? You can't. Forgive my hidden faults. David was saying, I don't know what I did. I, I pray this one a lot. I do this all the time. God, I must have done something really bad, right? What did I do, God? Whatever it was, just forgive me for it. Okay, usually that's a, that's a bad prayer because I'm, you know, it's like Murphy's Law. Something bad happened to me. It's like, oh, gosh, I must have sin in my life, right? Because that's not exactly the point, but it is an issue. You know, we have, we have sin inborn in us, and we have to deal with it. Oh, but I'm a good person. I don't do bad things. Whatever. I'm just a good person overall. I, mean, I try to do my best and whatever. The Bible says that you're desperately wicked. Your heart is desperately wicked. Oh, man. Uh, at least you guys are laughing about it. <laughs> I, I, uh, all right. I, uh, I, last week I had a, a conversation with a young woman and she was asking me questions about the church. And uh, she found out that I was a pastor and she's asking me questions about the church. And... Um, I said, well, this is what we do, you know, contemporary, you know, whatever. And she's like, you know, I used to go to church all the time. And um, every time I left, I felt really bad about myself. I'm like, oh, man, that's not good. And any time you leave the church, and it's not just a conviction that you have, but you feel really bad and you're hopeless and beat up, well, that's not good. And if I've ever done that for you, uh, please forgive me for doing that. Because the gospel is good news. Jesus came not to condemn the world, but to free the world. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. That's the good news. And so, uh, you know, when we, you know, when we go through these things, they might be difficult, but I'm telling you, there's hope. And... If you've ever heard a message that has beat you up to the point where you feel hopeless or like I can't do it and I might as well give up or if you've ever read the Bible and, and, and said, this is too much. Um, I, you've, either, you've heard me preach a really bad sermon or somebody else or you're reading the Bible wrong. It, it is possible. Did you know that? You can actually read the book wrong. And we'll, we'll figure that out as we wrap it up. But it's usually the things that we can't see that mess us up, okay? Forgive me of my hidden sins. Verse 13, for your servant also from willful sins 
Okay, so David understands, okay, there's things that I don't see, there's things about myself that are messing me up, and I need you to forgive me for those things, but there's also things that I do know about, and we all know David, and he liked himself some ladies, right? <laughs> and so this is, he's, he's, he's bringing that to the surface. So I have willful sins. I'm admitting it to you, Lord. I've got these things in my life, and I don't want them to control me. I'm aware of what they are. I don't want to be mastered by them anymore. What an incredible level of honesty, right? May they not rule over me. Okay, get this. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression, blameless or spotless, okay? You need to, you need to understand the way that he's writing, what he's trying to communicate, this is actually poetry, and it's actually structured. I could geek out on you and show it to you, but all the guys would, would, would fade out. So anyway, um, then I will be blameless, innocent. It also comes across as spotless of great transgression. Really? So you can do that to yourself, David? Okay. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. I want to under, underline pleasing. Whenever this word is used, it is attached to sacrifice. So whenever you presented a sacrifice to the Lord, it was a pleasing offering to the Lord. You're bringing your, you know, you're bringing your little cute little lamb that, that you're going to kill for God, okay? And it's, a, it's pleasing to God. Not only is it pleasing, but it is pure and spotless and innocent, and it is the best you have. It's not your, it's not your sloppy seconds. It's not your lame little cow that's not going to make it anyway, so you're just going to go ahead and bless God with it and give it to God, right? He's after, you know, he wants you to give your best for your own sake, actually. See, what David is doing, because he, he, he says, what's coming out of my mouth and what's inside of my heart, that's what really matters, huh, God? It's not about my lamb, is it? You see, what David is doing when he's talking about this, he's tapping into the future. He's tapping into what you and I have, and which is a New Testament revelation of Jesus and his atonement for us on the cross. And it's done internally. It's done with this honesty. It's done with this foresight and this honesty to know that there's something that is deep down inside of me that's broken, and I don't even know what it is. You ever feel this way? What is wrong with me? What is the matter with me in my life? Why am I so screwed up? David was getting there. See, it's the sins that you don't see that mess you up. And it's not necessarily they're like they're little tiny sins, but they're sins that we inherit from our culture. I'll say that again. They're characteristic sins that we inherit from our culture. You find this book offensive? It's offensive to our culture? You better believe it is. But if I was to take the book into a third world country where it was an agrarian society, it would, be, it would offend them as well. There's things in the book that would offend them. For example, um, We'll start off with the positive first, where they would identify with the Bible. Like, if I came, if I, I probably offend you guys all the time, but if I say sex outside of marriage is a sin, you're going to like, ah. If, if I was to, to go on the street and start preaching that with a, with a megaphone, that you can't have sex outside of marriage, it would be ugly. I'll go down to Arrow and in, in, uh, in, in Indian Hill and do that. And, and uh, sorry. Yeah, with, well, I have some yellow signs, too. Um, and if I, started, if I started preaching that, oh, my gosh, that would be horrible, wouldn't it? I would get so much pushback from the culture because it's accepted in our culture. Everybody shacks up before they get married nowadays. This is what you do. You've got you to test drive it before you buy it, right? And don't, don't tell pastor I said that one. And... Um, Oh, Lord. 
But it's offensive, right? It's an offensive statement to our culture. Do we all agree on that? There's just certain things you just can't say anymore because it's intolerant. But if I say, you know what? The Bible says that we ought to be forgiving, loving people, that we ought to forgive, that things just aren't worth fighting over. If I went down to the corner and preached that message, they'd say, yeah, peace, let's do that. I agree with that. Okay? All right. Take the same message into a third world, con- third world country that's agrarian-based. And if I was to, to have a little Bible study with a, with a, you know, a family unit, because third world countries that are agrarian-based, that are based on, on growing stuff, well, they, it's, it's, it's like a family business. It's tight run. It's tight knit. You have to have strong sons and daughters to, just to survive. And if I was to say, you guys can't have sex outside of marriage, and they'd be like, the Bible says you can't have sex outside of marriage. They'd be like, no duh, white boy. <laughs> because for you to have sex, for somebody to have sex outside of marriage in our culture, not only, not only is it selfish, but it's dangerous, and it's going to undo the fabric of our, of our society, and it's going it's to hurt the family. But if I was to say, you know, you ought to forgive your neighbors. You ought to forgive those that have hurt you. They're not going to accept that one. You know why? Because, and this is, this is completely general, okay, but it's just to illustrate the point. But think about family units that have to fight to survive, and there's this thing called blood feud, the Capulets and the Montagues, where blood is spilt, intimate blood between family groups or social groups or clans. And for me to go in and preach that one is more offensive to that culture than for me to go in and, pre- and, pre- and preach abstinence. They're going to identify with abstinence, but forgiveness for blood feud, telling them that they have to forgive the individual that slaughtered their children, how hard is that going to be for them? They won't accept it. So... It's the little things, it's the things that we don't see that really mess us up. It's the cultural identifications. It's the characteristics. It's the personality traits. It's the things that you inherited from your parents that really mess you up. And Jesus wants to set you free from them. Cultural, emotional, sociological. The Bible's there to fix them all. All right, next point. And hopefully we'll turn a big corner here. Interesting thing going on in our world, huh? News, what's on the news today? Just take your pick. I mean, truth, as Dallas Willard says, is in trouble. Here's where we're gonna turn the corner in the message. You really shouldn't be caring about, well, you should be. The priority ought to be your own soul right now. The priority shouldn't be, well, we need to do everything that we can to make sure that society and culture understands what truth is, absolute truth, and we need to pound it into them. This is where we're going to turn the the corner, and I, I have a strong conviction that this is from the Lord for you today. He's more concerned about you understanding what color your balloon is inside of your own heart. What is more important for you in your life today is what your true self ought to be and not what the world ought to be. Quit trying to conform the world to what you think it should be. Start trying to conform your soul to what Jesus calls it to be. Number four, the truth will help you Find your true self. The truth, ultimate truth, Jesus, Logos, the word, the scripture, will help you to find your true self. 
when AJ read the, the Psalms, he was going over uh, the first part of it. Again, it's like in three different sections. It's, again, it's a beautiful thing. But the first part, I don't know if you, if you noticed, but it dealt with nature. He was referencing, you know, the, the sun transversing the sky and how nature is calling out to God, how it sings to God. And it's difficult to really feel God's presence when we're in the concrete jungle, when you're in the strip mall. You know, and they, maybe they put some planters and, and some trees. And, you know, even here, you know, it's, everything is manicured. We've got some beautiful, mature pines, and it's a, it's a pretty campus. But when I get out in nature, there's something different. And most every other individual on the planet, even secular atheists, agree that there's something about nature that, that, that we're intimately connected to. There's something about it that calls out. And the scriptures itself say... The trees clap their hands for God. The rocks sing his praises. See, nature understands its true self in relationship with God. We don't because we have been given free will. Our will is opposed to truth. So in some cases, the rock is more spiritual than you are because it's fulfilling its true purpose. It knows what it is, and it knows how it is to function. And Jesus calling us back, all the work that he did on the cross is for us to find our true selves. In John 8, 32, 31, it says, If you hold on to my teaching and you're really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Psalms 19, again, what AJ read, uh, verse 7, right after the nature part, okay, right after the nature part, verse 7, it says, the law of the Lord is perfect. The law, the word, and I'll even Push it a little bit. The logos, the Jesus is perfect. Refreshing. It's also translated as to reviving the soul. Nature can't do it. Nature can inspire you. Nature can give you glimpses into who God is. Nature is nothing more than nonverbal communication from God. This is verbal communication from God. Holy Spirit ministering to your spirit is really close and sometimes verbal communication from God. Directive. Nature can't say, um, Jesus died on the cross and rose on the third day. I can have a feeling that there is a God through nature, but he can't, it can't be that specific. Only the scriptures can be that specific. That makes sense? Only the law, only the word, only the commandments are refreshing and reviving the soul, which implies that there's something wrong with you if it needs to be revived. The definition of soul here that is being used is, is, is really close to psyche, your, 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 your individual person, your, your emotions, your makeup, your, your drive, yourself. There's something wrong with yourself, and it is only through the scripture that yourself will be fixed. Only scripture can show you who you really are. In a, all right, I'm going to try and get this in. Um, in the Chronicles of Narnia, there's the, the, the story of the silver chair, and the prince would, uh, uh, the prince would, had a, he didn't know who he was. And every night, he, would, he, he, he had an understanding of who he was and what his destiny was. And then they, then they would lock him up and they would tie him to the chair. And there would there'd be this cloud, this illusion that would, call, that would come over him. And then he would forget who he was. And one day, one night, he takes the sword and he chops up the chair. And that is the word of God. See, the word of God is this sharp, double-edged sword 
that's out to destroy the illusions that you believe about yourself, the lies from the enemy of God that you've identified with, the pain that you keep on harboring and holding on to. And it is only through the word of God that it can cut through those things. It is only through the word of God that will defy culture and transform culture and redefine it. Again, in verse 7, this is great, by the way. It might not apply to you, but it will apply to somebody that you know. Verse 7, the word, the law, the commands, it makes the wise, it makes wise the simple. In other words, it makes stupid people smart. Yeah, I know, huh? <laughs> if, you, if you embrace the scripture, if you embrace this as truth, it will make you wise. Uh, verse 11, by them, by the commands, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. What does that mean? Um, all right, remember when, you're, when you were in your 20s and you did incredibly stupid things in college or whatever. In your high school years, you did incredibly stupid things. Um, your kids might be on the verge of doing incredibly stupid things. They don't have to be. What the scripture says is the wise or the, or the, the simple will become wise. And the laws will be, a, if, they're, if they're held to, will be a blessing. Meaning that that pain that you experienced in your younger years was unnecessary. And your kids don't have to go through the same thing you did. And they will be blessed because of it. See, sometimes we get it in our minds that, you know, our kids need to sow their wild oats. They need to do some bad things, get it out of their system. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that they can escape your cycle of dysfunction. Isn't that a huge blessing? The Bible says that they don't have to inherit your sin. There's a great reward for people that obey the scriptures right from the beginning. All right, now here's where it gets really interesting. This is where David sees something that most of us don't see. Verse 8. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. He also says, the commands are my delight. The rules are honeycomb to me. They're sweet. I like it. What's he saying? He says, I like God bossing me around and telling me what to do. What? How do you feel about somebody telling you what to do and bossing you around? Do you delight in that? Oh, thank you. That feels so good. I really like following the rules. You see, this is David's secret. I mean, does he say, oh, I delight in your promises all day long? Oh, your, your blessings are such a, they're sweet honey to my lips? No, he's saying, those rules that I break all the time, I take pleasure in them, Lord. Thank you for putting them in my life. Now, this is how we read the Bible wrong. Because most of us, we read the Bible, is it, it's, it's a rule book. It's a book about me. It's a book about me and my rules that I have to follow. It's, it's, it's my personal, uh, um, I don't know, uh, rule book. I don't know, the assembly book or something like that. The Bible is all about me. And once we begin to think of the scriptures in that way, when we think about it in a legalistic mindset, you can't bear it, folks. It's too heavy. You're never going to follow all the rules. 
The Bible says you have to be generous. You're never going to be generous enough. You're never going to be able to give enough. The Bible says that you have to have a pure heart. You're going to blow up when you walk out the door. It's too heavy. If you say, I've got to follow all these rules, you're going to, it's going to kill you. The weight of the Bible will kill you. If you think that it's all about you, you're deceived. And you're walking and living and breathing and seeing the world through your false self and not how Jesus created you and designed you and made you to be your true self. There's, when we look at the Bible, there's basically two approaches. There's the moralistic view of the Bible. What I just talked about is a moralistic view of the Bible. I want to be good. I want to be moral. Those are actually really good things. But again, the moralistic view will break your back. You'll never be able to give enough. The other view is which is dominant in our culture right now because they, they've given up on the moralist view, and that's the relativist view. It's all relative. It's a green balloon. It's a purple balloon. It's an orange balloon. You can, you can invent your own color balloon. You just make this stuff up as you go along. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't really care. You, know, you, can just, you, you get to choose. Both are, both are wrong, obviously. David was able to read the Bible as a delight. He, understand, he understood what ultimate generosity was. He understood John 3.16 before it was ever written. For God loved this place and you inside of it that he gave. You can't love without giving. David understood this. This is how we should read the Bible. I'm going to close with this video. This is the true and better way to see things. Go ahead, Crystal. Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden, his garden, a much tougher garden, and whose obedience is imputed to us. Jesus is the true and better Abel, who, though innocently slain, has blood that cries out, not for our condemnation, but for our acquittal. Jesus is the true and better Abraham, who answered the call of God, to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go into the void, not knowing whither he went. Jesus is the true and better Isaac, who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed for us all, while God said to Abraham, now I know you love me, because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from me. Now we, at the foot of the cross, can say to God, now we know that you love me, because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from me. Jesus is the true and better Jacob, who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserve, so we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace that wake us up and discipline us. Jesus is the true and better Joseph, who is at the right hand of the king and forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his power to save them. Jesus is the true and better Moses, who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the true and better rock of Moses, who struck with the rod of God's justice now gives us water in the desert. Jesus is the true and better Job, He's the truly innocent sufferer who then intercedes for and saves his stupid friends. <laughs> is that a type? See, that's not typology, it's an instinct. Jesus is the true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. Jesus is the true and better Esther, who didn't just risk losing an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate heavenly one, who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life. Who didn't just say, if I perish, I perish, says, when I perish, I'll perish for them to save my people. Jesus is the true and better Jonah who was cast out into the storm so we could be brought in. He's, he's the real Passover lamb. He's, he's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, the true bread. The Bible's not about you. See, the Bible is about Jesus. Truth, ultimate truth. And it will find the ultimate truth true you, if you allow it. So I have the band come on up to the front and the ushers as they're on their way up. I would like for you all to bow your head and close your eyes so you can't see what everybody else is doing.
if you have the courage to at all cost seek wisdom, if you desire to know truth, to find truth, if you know that there's something that is wrong inside of you, like there's like this, uh, there's a splinter in your mind that you just can't, you just know that there's something not right. And, and you've been walking with the Lord forever. And you have the courage to take the plank out of your own eye first. To do some work on yourself before you go after the world, before you go after loved ones, before you go after anything else. If you have the courage to take that plank out of your own eye, to say, God, I think my balloon in my heart is yellow, but your word says it's red. Let's reconcile this together, God. Help me get through this. If you need a change in your life, just raise your hand and I'd like to pray over you. Father, right now, I just thank you for the, the brave souls that have raised their hand, that have been honest. And I pray, God, I pray that you will supernaturally break through in their lives this week. But God, I pray that you also just minister to them in a, in a still, small voice. And you're gonna, and just that they need to continue, that they need to persevere, that they need to press into your presence. They need to diligently seek you, God. Thank you, Father. If you don't know the Lord today, if this Christianity thing, this Jesus thing seems way too heavy and you want to know the Lord for the very first time, if you want to invite that Holy Spirit that leads, that guides us, that shows us what our future is, raise your hand. I'd like to pray for you too. Awesome, we're all saved. Oh, I got one. God bless you. I pray that the Lord just fill your life right now. Just repeat after me in your mind. Don't, don't say it out loud. God loved the world. He gave his son for me. I believe. I get to experience eternity. Not only when I die, I get to experience eternity now. Thank you for that, Lord. Father, I pray that you bless this offering. Thank you so much for this church family that freely gives, that is so committed to advancing your kingdom, that says, I'm going to feed orphans. I'm going to take care of poor people. I'm going to reach out to my family. I'm going to draw them in. I'm going to draw them closer. Thank you so much for this offering. In your name, amen.